the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not see, do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Look back at verse 1 there, it says, judge not that you be not judged. Just this week, uh, pretty sure unbeknownst to a couple people, uh, I know of two, two times that someone used this phrase to justify themselves uh, to me about something, and I thought to myself, thank you, Jesus. Illustration right here. Don't judge me is something that has become sort of this cultural way of, of saying, listen, I, I don't have to be accountable to you, and I don't want to hear it, and so this conversation is over. Don't judge me. End of conversation. We used, to have a, we used to have somebody who lived with us every once in a while for a couple of weeks, sometimes months at a time, and this person would, would, would always say, don't judge me, don't judge, don't judge, <laughs> as a way to just say, like, I don't want to hear it, get away from me, you're not my mom or dad, you're not my authority. <laughs> I kept wanting to say, somebody's got to be. There's a guy around here who's got big letters emblazoned on the top of his windshield in his car. I've, I've told this story before. It says, only God can judge me. He's in his early 20s. He's a Tupac wannabe. He's, you know, got the fake bling and the, the tied in the front do-rag. This kid's got, only God can judge me, emblazoned on his windshield, uh, not because he knows that God's going to judge him and he's prepared for that, but because he doesn't want you and he doesn't want me. He doesn't want society out there judging him. This isn't a statement of his preparation for the final judgment or the second coming of Christ. It is a declaration of his own personal desire to be outside the bounds of authority in his own life. That's what he's saying. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. It's the kind of phrase people use when they want to declare their independence from any and all standards of morality or authority. And, and friends, in our, in our pluralistic world of anything goes, it's become a catchphrase. People hearken to, to Matthew 7-1 all the time. They misuse it all the time to justify themselves in this anything-goes kind of world. And friends, this is a big deal. In the public square today, it's being used to declare that Christians who pass moral judgments on others are automatically people of hate. Are we preaching yet? If you don't follow the don't judge me way of operating in the world today, you are functionally guilty of a hate crime. So when people come to this text here in Matthew 7, where Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, people think that's what Jesus meant, that we should never call anyone to the carpet, that we cannot hold others accountable, that we ourselves should not be held accountable to any particular standard of morality, let alone a Christian would. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not what Jesus is saying here. And through the course of the message today, we'll unpack where he's headed with this. You see, the wider culture, the wider culture of the world does not determine biblical meaning. We don't interpret Scripture through the lens of the world. We interpret the world through the lens of Scripture. 
You can tweak that. We interpret the world through the lens of Scripture. The world doesn't tell you, for example, who you are. We talked about this for five weeks when we talked about the identity that we have in Christ in Romans 6 through 8. The world doesn't tell you who you are. This book tells you who you are. This book, the truth of God contained in these pages, tells you who you are and why you exist. Because let's just let's be frank, you have an authority in your life. Everybody does. They just don't necessarily know and acknowledge who or what that authority is. So in the wider culture around us, don't judge me as a way of saying, you don't get to be my authority. I don't want anybody to be my authority. I have no standards to which I have to uh, be accountable. So, so is that what Jesus means? Don't judge lest you be judged. I mean, he says it right there, judge not, verse 1, that you be not judged. At first it sounds like, Jim, like Jesus is sort of simply uh, agreeing with the culture. Don't make moral judgments about others. Unless it's okay that they make moral judgments about you. Don't condemn lest you be condemned. And at first it seems like Jesus sort of agrees with that dude who has only God can judge me emblazoned across his windshield. And and listen to these parallel passages in Scripture. They sound like they're saying that too. As if Jesus is simply telling us, do not pass moral judgment. Look at Romans chapter 2, 1 and 2. It says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God. Now, this is a different piece that we don't have explicit in our passage. This is helpful for us because it tells us about the judgment of God as a piece of this. Verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls, rightly falls on those who practice such things. Romans 14.10, why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. There's the role of God in judgment again. James 2.13 For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is a positive way of saying negatively what is said in Matthew 7.1. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 5.9 Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold the judge, capital J, here again is the role of God in the judgment. The judge is standing at the door. So one thing already that we are helped to see, one thing that helps clarify this a little bit for us from these parallel passages, and by the way, throughout this whole series, I'm going to try to kind of take you along in the interpretive process. Parallel passages are an important way to, to shed light on the Scripture you're studying. Scripture interprets Scripture. So we've looked at these parallel passages, and one thing that we've learned from them is that God is the judge, not man. So given this principle that Scripture interprets Scripture, we're helped to see that something other than just the generic no passing of moral judgments philosophy is what's in view here. So back to verse 1. We'll continue to add these things as we go along here. Jesus sets forth the principle. He sort of states it like a proverb here in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. And then he adds some color to it in verse 2. He starts to explain more of the picture here. Verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is grabbing an agricultural uh, kind of reference here. In Bible times, when they were figuring out contracts for grain, when they were buying and selling grain, it was important to use the same exact 
instrument, the same exact instrument that makes the measurements at the beginning of the contract as at the end when it was delivered. So that the promised grain and the amount would be the same as the delivered amount. It was a way that it was ensuring fairness. So Proverbs 11.11, for example, which is just the first of four times that Proverbs speaks like this, and it's grabbing something from Leviticus. It says this, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. God hates unjust scales. God hates unjust scales. He loves fairness. Fairness that comes from his perfection. That's a different animal altogether than the world's judgment. That's even often, perhaps usually, a different animal altogether than the way that we judge. He loves fairness that comes from his heart of justice. So, at this point, here's what we have. However you measure it for someone else will be the way that you are measured. Here's how a commentator says it. This is good. You may want to write this down. I'll say it twice. The very act of judgment establishes a set of criteria to which the one judging must expect to answer before God. The very act of judgment establishes a set of criteria to which the one judging must expect to answer before God. So already we're beginning to see that that Jesus isn't just condemning condemnation of others. He is condemning someone condemning with an unjust measure from an unjust place. Being quick to call others to account is an invitation for God to call us to account. Jesus is saying, so be careful. So be careful. Be discerning. We'll come back to that at the end. Now keep reading for more insight. He gives us an example. This is a cool example here. uh, A famous example that he gives in verses 3 to 5. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? I remember the first time I came across this. It might have been late elementary, early Uh, middle school, and I always had this crazy visual picture, which is exactly what Jesus wants you to have. He he sort of shocks the reader into having this crazy visual picture of this plank, this big log coming out of your eye, sort of something like this here. Walking around with this huge log in one's eye, And, and now you have a crazy mental picture as well. This is exactly what Jesus wanted to do when he was speaking this way. He uses a a bizarre word picture to sort of shock his readers into seeing his point. He says, okay, so you see a speck in somebody else's eye? While you're walking around this huge log in yours? Like, are you kidding? That's how you roll? That's a paraphrase, obviously. Uh, you, 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 You walk around talking about others like that without even being aware of your own faults? He's saying two things. Number one, he's condemning hypocrisy. He's condemning hypocrisy. And he's also, number two, setting up an application. Because it doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, you you walk around seeing specks in everybody else's eye, but you have a log in your own. He's actually setting up the application, which comes in the next verse. Look at verse 4. He says, or how can you say? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye? He's not saying you can't say it. He's saying, do it. 
in a measure, in a way that comports with my heart. We'll come back to that in a second here. That first phrase in verse 4 says, or how can you say? The verb here is actually in the future tense. The most literal reading is, or how will you say? So Jesus isn't saying, don't judge. He's not saying, don't be a hypocrite, though he's also saying that. He is also saying, don't judge from a place of unwarranted self-righteousness. Don't speak of someone else's speck without humility that understands one's own sinful failure. Because if you don't get that, Jesus is saying, if you don't, if you don't get that, from a, if you don't do that from a place of mercy, then you will not be able to say, keep reading verse 4, you will not be able to say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. <laughs> He's saying that's not how this works. Jesus is saying. He's drawing attention to a curious feature of the human race in which a profound ignorance of one's self is so often combined with an arrogant presumption of knowledge about others. Especially about others' faults. People who live in and come from the kingdom of man, the kingdom of self-righteousness, not the kingdom of God, have a profound ignorance of oneself that is combined with an arrogant presumption of knowledge about others' faults, Jesus is saying. Keep reading verse 5. He says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, Jesus isn't anti-judgment at all. If you look down further in Matthew 7, he, he warns to beware of false prophets. And he says that you will recognize them by your fruits. Good fruit, not a false prophet. Bad fruit, false prophet. This involves making a judgment later on in the same chapter. So Jesus isn't just anti-judgment. He is anti-judgment from a place of self-righteousness. Not like sometimes, but like unequivocally every time, he is anti-judgment from a place of self-righteousness that is unwarranted, which he is saying is everybody who's ever lived except for him. Now, where we are at this point in the passage would be a helpful interpretation. That is, we've gotten far enough into the text that we see some new insight and so 7-1 isn't the end of the story, but three, I'm sorry, 2 through 5 uh, help give us some insight. But keep reading because there's more. Look at verse 6. It seems sort of weird and sort of out of place. It doesn't almost fit with the preceding context that we've just studied. It almost doesn't fit at all with the context afterwards. But it's there, and Jesus said it, verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus is basically saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Don't waste, he is saying, spiritual insight on those who don't appreciate it. Don't waste your efforts on those who cannot see the kingdom. Now, this is not Jesus saying, don't preach the gospel to all. He's not saying that. He is saying, do not waste your time on those who obviously do not need to hear the message because they're too good in themselves 
to hear it. Hard words. It's like when Jesus says to shake off the dust from those who reject the message, which he says just a couple chapters later in Matthew 10. Jesus himself, in fact, before Herod, refused to say a word. So here's the rub. What does verse 6 have to do with the rest of the passage? If we can figure out how verses 1 through 5 and verse 6 fit together, we will begin to see the whole new passage, the, the, the whole passage in an entirely new light. And here's what turns on the light bulb for us. Context. Context. We'll probably come back to this throughout this series time and again in the next six weeks. Context is king when it comes to interpreting scripture. Uh, it's king and queen and prince and princess and jester, in fact. Uh, Matthew 7 is part of a larger context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that goes from chapters 5 to chapter 7. Now this is where Jesus is giving his first disciples their marching orders in this new kingdom that he was establishing. Just before he begins to preach this very sermon in chapters 5 through 7, Jesus had been speaking of bringing in the kingdom. Matthew says in Matthew 4.23 that he began to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus is giving his first disciples their marching orders, but he's doing so by contrasting, this is key, by contrasting his message with the message of the Pharisees. He is speaking to the disciples primarily here in these three chapters, but he's doing so by contrasting his message of the coming of the kingdom with the message of the Pharisees. So check this out. The Pharisees, who we often think of as having impossible standards, uh, they, were, they were actually well known for sort of lowering the standards of the law. The law is perfect. Every good Jew knew that. And Jesus himself said that. Paul said that. The law is perfect. But the, the Pharisees, who uh, were legalists at the same time, the Pharisees uh, lowered the standards of the law to apply it to people's lives so that the people could actually live it out. So they thought. You had to meet it perfectly if you're going to go to heaven. So let's, so let's make the law make sense so that we can apply it to our lives and we can fulfill the law. And that's where the legalism came in. Jesus says that's not how this works. The law is still the law. The law comes from the heart of God and perfection is the standard. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, 20, important for what we're talking about in this context. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine then hearing that? I have to be better than a Pharisee? He says in this contrast that he's talking about that there are two ways to get to heaven. Number one, perfectly fulfill the law. Perfectly fulfill the law. Number two, accept God's grace that meets the law for you in Christ. Perfectly fulfill the law or accept God's grace that meets the law for you in Christ. So Jesus here is teaching his disciples about this new kingdom of grace. So listen to what he does in this sermon. The greater context of chapters 5 through 7. We'll just point out a few of these places, but there are a bunch more. Matthew five twenty-one to 22, he says this. 
You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, this is him, this is him upping the ante, saying the law is a standard of perfection, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, raka, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is upping the ante, saying the Pharisees didn't even get it. Matthew 5, 27 to 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He keeps going on and on like this. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you, in this new kingdom, it works differently. Chapter 6, Jesus starts to explicitly address the Pharisees says this in Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men in order to be seen by them. And then he gives example after example after example of the ways the Pharisees were doing that. Matthew 6, 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have already received their reward. He goes on and on like this. Do not be like the hypocrites. They have already received their reward. He says in this new kingdom, it works differently. So, by the time Jesus gets to chapter 7, it is clear that he is bringing in, he's ushering in a new kingdom where grace and not self-righteousness Not self-righteous so-called perfection that means that we have to have unequal scales for one another. That grace in this new kingdom is what operates to save. Self-righteous perfection cannot do it. That's radical stuff to this first century audience. So so listen again. Listen again to 7, 1 through 6. With some of this greater context in mind. With what we now know about Christ contrasting the coming kingdom that he's bringing with the kingdom of man that justifies itself. Because that's the contrast. Kingdom of God, perfection net for us in Christ through grace as a gift of God versus the kingdom of man that justifies itself. Verse 1, he says this, Judge not like the Pharisees that you be not judged by God. You could say, verse 1, judge not like the hypocrites, that you be not judged by God. Verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In the kingdom of man, you have to have unequal scales in order to justify yourself. In this new kingdom, he says, you measure others with the mercy that's been applied to you. Which is why in Matthew 5, 7, he says, the merciful will receive mercy. Verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? At this point, people listening to Jesus are saying, how do I get this log out of my eye? (laughs) Jesus says, I'm right here. Logs come out of eyes by grace. Logs don't come out of eyes by works. You must remember this when you approach others, Jesus is saying. Verse 4. Or how can you say, 
How can you say if you don't know that it's mercy and not judgment? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, he says. If you're acting like this with a log in your eye that's kept there by your own judgment, by your own unequal scales, you are just like the hypocrites and Pharisees and you need to repent before the one who truly judges. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly how to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So verse 5 is saying that after you've received mercy, then you can see clearly. To see clearly is to have received mercy and grace from God. To see clearly is to not have the log that you can't take out by yourself. This is what Jesus is saying. Matthew 5, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's the same thing he was saying in the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, later on in our same book. Matthew 18.33, Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Only after you had your log removed can you see clearly to remove the specks in others' lives. Are we preaching yet? Because, because there's no shortage of self-righteous judges who act not out of mercy, but are still living in the kingdom of man that justifies itself. There's no shortage of self-righteous judges who act not out of mercy, but out of hypocritical self-righteousness. And Jesus isn't saying the believer cannot judge the world. 1 Corinthians 6, 2, look that up later. It's a great passage, 1 through 4 there in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Revelation says the same thing. He's not saying believers cannot judge Fairly, he is saying self-righteous hypocrites cannot judge in a godly manner. And friends, the world does not need more self-appointed pharisaical judges who have come to God in their own righteousness. That's a false gospel. Jesus hits it time and time and time and time again. When he says in this new kingdom, this is how it operates. Grace, not works. Because, friends, works is not a place from which to preach the gospel. The only place from which you preach the gospel is a place that stands before God and everybody else and says, I've had logs. So we have to be discerning. We have to be careful. We have to use spiritual insight for how we approach one another and how we approach non-believers. That's why he says this in verse 6. He ends on a hard word of warning. A hard word of warning. He's telling us to be discerning. He says this, Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Later on in Matthew, uh, in a cool parable about the parable of uh, the pearl of great price, in Matthew chapter 13, the pearl is the kingdom of God. The pearl of great price, worth selling all you have for, is the kingdom of God. Do not throw your 
pearls before pigs. The kingdom of God that Jesus has been declaring in the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus is saying, don't bother too much with those who do not appreciate this new beauty of a kingdom of grace because they still have logs in their eyes. Hard words. You will run into those in your Christian life who claim righteousness. But they are still in love with the kingdom of man that justifies itself. That has to use unequal weights. Friend, there is only one way to know God forever. And the self-righteousness of the kingdom of man is not that way. It falls infinitely short of adequate. And Jesus is saying, with this precious kingdom you now have, you, you can only take this, you can only preach this, you can only communicate this effectively and fruitfully as someone who is not a hypocrite. As someone who knows the precious gift of having been forgiven of log after log after log. So you can judge. (laughs) In fact, it's almost an encouragement to judge. But it's an encouragement to judge in in this new kingdom way of grace. May we be people who do that in our own lives. Let's pray together.